You're listening to 3CR Radio. And coming up right now, in your face. The New South Wales government recently passed new legislation with possible punitive measures for the transmission of HIV, including prison sentences in some instances. On the line, we have writer and living with HIV advocate Nick Hollis. Welcome, Nick. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Nick, the new law in part focuses on the disclosure of a person's HIV status. What does the new law in New South Wales say about disclosure and the transmission of HIV? Well, the, the new changes to the Public Health Act, and, and let me start by saying that, you know, some of these changes are really excellent. They're things that, you know, the community has been advocating for for a long time. Uh, actually remove the disclosure requirement which brings New South Wales in line with other states such as Victoria, where you're no longer required to disclose your HIV or STI status as long as you take reasonable precautions. And that's, you know, by no means a bad thing. The the, uh, onus of responsibility being squarely on the positive person to disclose their status uh, as a measure of keeping everyone safe doesn't work and creates more stigma. And what we want to create is a sexual culture where people take care of themselves and one another through better and safer sex practices. So that's, you know, generally a good thing and something that people have been advocating for for a while. So, Nick, uh, what the, are some of those reasonable precautions under the Act? How does it define what, them? Well, this is the really tricky thing. In Victoria, uh, it's mainly around, you know, condoms and also possibly having an undetectable viral load, which not all of your listeners, not all of your listeners might fully understand, but we're, as an HIV-positive person who is on effective treatment, it is... Uh, impossible uh, for me to pass on my HIV to someone else, and that's uh, that's finding that has been um, confirmed by series, a series of, of studies all around the world, and is now endorsed by the World Health Organization. But in New South Wales, it's still because this is also new, it's still very much up for discussion. And in the last couple of days, we've seen draft versions of what uh, these reasonable precautions could be. They include, of course, using condoms, uh, having an undetectable viral load checking that your partner is on PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is like the pill that HIV-negative people take to prevent from um, from acquiring HIV, all the way through to doing things like ensuring that if you have an STI, it's cleared, or if you have an STI in a specific part of your body, you don't have sex using that part of your body. You mentioned earlier that the law puts the onus on the HIV-positive person. Why do you think the law has been constructed in that way? Uh, well, these laws hark back to a time when HIV and AIDS was uh, you know, devastating uh, various communities in Australia, uh, the majority of which at the time was gay and bisexual men. So a lot of these laws are built up for around that very terrible time of fear and stigma, and the law has not moved uh, with science and with social progress. And so that's why you have laws such as this. And whilst, you know, Victoria is doing a lot better than New South Wales in certain things. You know, in Victoria, it's still um, illegal to be a sex worker who is HIV positive, for example. That's not the case in New South Wales. So there's still a lot of really old, bad laws on the books there, not to mention a culture of law enforcement and policing and judicial processes, which are incredibly uh, unfair, unkind and judgmental towards the positive person. So give us some examples of that. For example, how feasible is the enforcement of this new law and and what would that involve? At this stage, we don't know. The the difficult thing around this, and and if we look historically at where HIV criminalisation has been in place, it has affected a a broad range of communities. It it has come down harsher on migrant men who who are having heterosexual 
contact uh, with women. It's also come down heavily on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, as well as, in some instances, gay men and queer men and trans women. You know, there, there aren't dozens and dozens and dozens of cases over the years. In regards to this specific change, uh, where the maximum penalty is an $11,000 fine and or six months in prison, it's going through the Public Health Act. Now, the good thing about that is that cases brought in front of the Public Health Act start with a tribunal of uh, learned individuals who are um, connected to the health department and the HIV and STI and the bloodborne virus sector, and they hear everything. Uh, and there is a series of responses that need to occur and needs to go up the chain before this kind of maximum penalty comes into play. But, you know, we, we look at uh, the Victorian example, Section 19A, which was one of the HIV-specific uh, laws in the criminal code that was never actually enforced in its many years of existing. But all these laws have to do is hang over a community for them to have a negative effect and a seriously stigmatising effect. Uh, one of the great problems with HIV criminalisation is that uh, anyone can be accused by, um, a, for example, an angry ex-lover or even in some cases, especially with women, an abusive lover who will, who will threaten going to the police and enacting HIV criminalisation in order to uh, maintain their abusive relationships. Uh, not only that, there's a whole world of fear and stigma that hangs over us. So it's not necessarily that these laws are enacted, but that they exist, that that's a problem. Nick, give us an example of the kind of scenario where a person could be imprisoned for transmitting HIV under the new legislation in New South Wales. Under the Public Health Act? Yes. Uh, so it would be that someone, uh, so if they don't take reasonable precautions, so um, in this instance, for example, they might not be able to maintain an undetectable viral load or they didn't use a condom uh, and they clearly didn't disclose, uh, uh, their sexual partner would either find out about this and be incensed uh, that this has taken place, despite them possibly not asking the questions themselves and not taking f uh, full responsibility for their own actions, that that person could then raise a complaint either through a health department or a health official. The targeted person would be, um, would be located and tracked down, say, by the health department and would be possibly called in for questioning. Uh, if that person continued to, say, ignore the advice of a health department, say, for example, they were a, in a particularly chaotic period of their life, they were having uh, mental health problems or any some such uh, confluence of things that could parlay into them uh, repeatedly not taking um, the advice and direction of the health department, they could then uh, be directed to a magistrate in the police and be put in prison. How enforceable is the new law? I imagine uh, health departments, including in New South Wales, have some fairly sophisticated measures for tracking people with HIV and, of course, our mandatory reporting um, from doctors when someone seroconverts. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the, the thing about monitoring individuals is that, thankfully, even though HIV is a notifiable disease, individuals can't be monitored. There's no identified database of people living with HIV so whilst we are absolutely monitored and tracked as a key population, our individual actions and movements aren't tracked, which is a good thing because of the implications then on privacy and testing that, that would have. That certainly, you know, and I, and I know this uh, because I know some of the people on the panel in New South Wales or, or have been on the panel, you know, it is a empathetic, understanding for the most part, collection of people who are very learned and very informed so it's it's not necessarily that 
see is a suddenly a huge risk for every positive person in New South Wales, anyone who visits New South Wales who is HIV positive, who is going to be potentially uh, feel the brunt of this punitive sentence. As I said before, it's much more about uh, the fact that these punitive uh, measures and this very heavy-handed charges hang over a community and behaviour modifying and actually limit the way we can form and enjoy relationships. And that's a massive problem. I was going to ask you uh, along those lines, to what extent is this new legislation perhaps a disincentive for people to get tested for HIV just because of the kinds of scenarios you just mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And look, that's that's something we see all around the world is that when heavy-handed or blunt tools of the law are used in a way that affects and impacts HIV-positive people, there it can and, and often does have an impact on testing rates because, as with these new changes to the Public Health Act and with other HIV criminalisation uh, examples, if you don't know that you're a person living with HIV, you can't be charged because you don't have that information. And a very common catch cry in the fight against HIV criminalisation is take the test, risk arrest. Now, that's absolutely not something that we want to be going out to community and telling them. You know, we are so fortunate in Australia, in particular in New South Wales and, and of course, in Victoria as well, that we're having really high testing rates. And those high testing rates are an incredibly important aspect in the fight to end HIV. So the last thing we want to be doing is going out to community and having to warn them that, you know, if they do test positive for HIV, they are exposing themselves to, um, you know, potential incarceration. Communication with the HIV community is obviously fairly essential in relation mm-hmm. to this um, amendment to the New South Wales Public Health Act and, and good and healthy communication, obviously, um, because I guess to what extent I'm asking, I suppose, is that there potential for this to be a return to the grim reaper days when people with HIV were demonised in the 1980s and early early 90s through misinformation? Well, look, I mean, that, 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 that old grim reaper uh, really hangs over us in the community and and it was a certainly effective piece of marketing in many ways because it's just taken hold in the Australian consciousness of what HIV and AIDS is. And just a bit of trivia, Ida Buttrose is actually one of the people who came up with that campaign, which not a lot of people know and I always like to like to put that information out there. Look, we are constantly working as the um, as the people living with HIV community to to take uh, and reduce the stigma around living with HIV. We've come leaps and bounds. In the last five years alone, I've seen a massive leap in uh, the way Australia talks about HIV and, more importantly, the way HIV-positive people feel about themselves. They're feeling more empowered. They're feeling more accepted. They're feeling more part of society. And access to treatment and high treatment rates, uh, creating more undetectable people living with HIV um, is a big part of that, as is the rollout of PrEP, as is the rollout of um, anti-stigma campaigns. But it takes constant vigilance. And what's really terrifying about these changes that have come in New South Wales is that they feel incredibly draconian and they are some of the most uh, regressive changes to law reform we've seen in HIV in Australia for a very long time. And it's extremely concerning that um, the Minister uh, rushed these changes through New South Wales Parliament without proper 
uh, consultation with the community organisation. I was going to ask you about that, actually, Nick. It just seems yeah. interesting that this is happening during the marriage equality campaign. <laughs> Do you think that's not a coincidence? Do you think that the reason why it was rushed through was because, A, the community is so focused on marriage and, B, the community's response could perhaps be tempered because of the marriage campaign? Oh, look, I would love to imagine that conservative forces in this country have any idea of the queer experience and would be knowledgeable enough around that to think that they could rush this through and we wouldn't notice. I unfortunately think uh, it's much more ignorant and that's certainly in line with the way liberal people seem to be thinking about queer people at this point in history. Unfortunately, I do think it's just a, a combination of bad timing and, um, and I've certainly felt that directly as an activist attempting to get you know information out there about this the week that the postal survey went out which is exactly when this vote got rushed through parliament uh was not an easy task uh, we still had a, a fairly strong response and we had a lot of letters be sent into the minister and we had a good bit of media about this which is a sign of just how serious uh this issue is but no i unfortunately unfortunately as much as i do love a good conspiracy theory about conservative forces working they're hard to destroy us as a community. I think it was just a coincidence. What's the response been from people living with HIV organisations around the country in relation to the New South Wales Public Health Act Amendment? And has it been a united response? Uh, it hasn't been in, entirely united, although um, ACON, the AIDS Council of New South Wales, which is the peak New South Wales body, was quick to um, call out uh, New South Wales Health, despite the fact that they are, you know... A, in bed, for want of a better word, with the department as their arm of HIV and, and queer health. That was really encouraging. Um, other organisations have also um, uh, created communication and certainly been working very hard behind the scenes, I know, to um, to lobby the minister to try and avoid these things happening. But I do know that they were all blindsided by this, uh, that there was, there was no proper consultation and it all happened very quickly. There has been a bit of talk around the country about this, but of course the the problem being that this is a New South Wales particular issue and it's not quite appropriate for other jurisdictions to comment on that. The concern here is that so often with HIV in Australia is as goes New South Wales, so goes the rest of the country. So what we're worried about is that this could set a, um, a precedent to roll out in other states and territories where there are far less HIV-positive people and far less vocal HIV-positive people. So that's a serious concern. Have any other states indicated they may follow suit? Not yet, not yet, um, which is really great. We are hearing some murmurs, actually, that New South Wales might be looking at adopting um, the mandatory testing for spitting, which is something that was rolled out in the Northern Territory WA and SA in the last recent years, so that's a bit of a concern. I do think that you know, Australia's HIV response you know, gathers together and works together. We do great work, and that's a really important thing, is that the HIV-positive community in this country stands on the shoulders of, of several decades of incredible activism and work. And we can't let, you know, state politics uh, stop us from uh, fighting together. Nicole is there talking about amendments to the Public Health Act in New South Wales and its implications for HIV positive people. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.